We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a VAR was implemented to even out the game. The bad news is that Mike Dean is all the VAR referees. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Look, VAR was designed to even out the game, make everything equitable. The problem is they cloned Mike Dean, and now he's all of the VAR referees. And so it gives him the chance to screw Arsenal every single possible moment. Look, it's very simple. If you go in with a straight leg, it is a red card. If you do a really cool karate-style kick to the face of an Arsenal player, it's not a red card because everybody knows the face is meant to be kicked by football studs. So I don't see a problem with that. We'll probably have to get into that. Admittedly, uh, while refereeing discussions are tedious, they are sometimes necessary, so we'll probably uh, address that maybe up front and get it out of the way so we can get to the tactically interesting stuff. I actually felt that this 1-1 draw, from a result standpoint, as disappointing as it was, is one of the more encouraging games of the season taken in context. And coming from me, you know that's serious business. We touched on it during the instant reaction pod for patrons, but now we're going to dive into it in full with Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Clive, not so subtly, in the chat on the last pod, made it quite clear to me that he does not favor lineup discussions. So I assure you, he will not be selected for that portion of the podcast. But Clive, I will select you for a portion of the podcast that you don't like down the line. I'll figure out what that is. Paul, I'll let you do the refereeing stuff. I know Tim doesn't care for it. So just really quickly, let's let's get this out of the way. Um, I feel that Eddie Nketiah's red card was a red card. My biggest issue with refereeing is not that it is biased in the sense that 
we get calls that we shouldn't get. I think that's a red card. My biggest issue is consistency. And whether it was, um, uh, what's his name down the knee of, of Lacazette in the Brighton game, who was, Mo- Mo- uh, I want to say Moamba, but that's not right. Why can't I think of his name? The guy who was following. Mope it, or something. Well, Mope it, it was the one on Leno. Yeah, yeah, it was a midfield. I've forgotten his name as well, but Good. he committed about we seven or eight yes, fouls. Yes, including a straight leg on Lacazette. And whether it's the scissor challenges on Pepe or whether it's the Mopé challenge on Leno, whatever the case may be, whether it was what Vardy did to Mustafi, it just feels to me that for whatever the reason, red cards are just not shown for fouls against us. And maybe there's bias creeping in here, but but how do you feel about the... The Vardy kick on Mustafi, the Eddie and Kedia red card, and the issue that seems to be popping up here, which is just that we always seem to face the harshest justice when it doesn't appear to be meted out. The one that always comes to mind for me. I think is it Shaka who gets sent off for a foul by the touchline at mm. about halfway line once, right, for denial of a goal scoring opportunity, literally in like central midfield. And everyone's like, well, that's the rule. Technically, that's the rule. But it's never been the rule before, and it's never been the rule again. I mean, do you want to sort of contextualize this for us on on the Mustafi face kick and and where we are with refereeing right now? No, I'm terrible at context. And I'm with, to be honest, I'm with Tim generally on refereeing things, but I've waded in on a couple recently because it's pissing me off. <laughs> that's um, why I picked you, man. <laughs> Vardy. That, I mean, when I was a kid, like my hero when I was 13 was mostly Bruce Lee. Um, <laughs> he knows exactly what the fuck he's doing. That weird straight leg swing around. He's looking. Um, do this as an exercise, everybody listening. Type in Vardy dirty tackle or Vardy dangerous tackle or Vardy filthy tackle. Now, he's a striker, so you're going to expect that, say, it's at least 50-50 or, or 60 or 70% in favor of defenders doing dirty tackles on Vardy. It's like 99.997% that dirty bastard Vardy. Like, not even his own team are speaking up for uh, tackles in on him, which is a testament to how brilliant he is at avoiding them. Uh, but that same skill, his, I mean, let's be honest, he's quick, he's got quick feet, his awareness is absolutely fantastic. But I'm not doing this to give the man a compliment. He knows exactly what he's doing. He He's so aware of where Mustafi's head in is. He does that mm. weird straight leg roundhouse uh, with the sneaky look and he's ready for the, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm so terribly sorry. And some people actually fall for it. Actually, most people fell for it. Now, letting it go, okay. But it's... See, here's where I have a bit of difficulty. The Enketia red card, I don't think was a red card, except in that that's the kind of red card they tend to give. Uh, The Vardy red card, I don't think is a red card because that's the kind they don't tend to give. But it was entirely deserving of it, where I just think Eddie was, I don't think he was actually being cynical. Vardy was being about 117% cynical. Um, The referees are mugs again. I hope the Enketia thing is reviewed um, and that they trim it down to one. I'll I'll say this about Enketia. It was naive, and he's a smart boy, I think. 
and he'll learn quickly. Um, will cost us going forward? Maybe, but it may just force Arteta into playing him through the middle, which is not the worst thing I've ever heard so playing of him personally. Playing him, you mean Aubameyang. <clears throat> Sorry, yeah, Aubameyang, yeah. yeah. Get, getting him played through the middle. That would not it's be kind of funny that you ever. don't even need to name the player and we just sort of know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I'm kind of pissed off that you pulled me up on it, Elliot. Everybody knew. They yeah, knew. Yeah, but it's, it's my brand, dude. It's what I got to do. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, there's where I'm going with it. I, I could talk longer, but you got, you got the gist of it. I know you can, and, but I appreciate yeah, you not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my main summary is I get the, I get the decisions because those are the kinds of decisions they tend to give, but it's wrong. I want the Enkedia one to be a red card because we have been bleeding on and on that intent doesn't matter. And we've mm. wanted red cards given for players fouling, badly fouling our players, where intent is brought up, and we've always said intent doesn't matter. The irony of the Vardy one is there is a much clearer suggestion of intent because he takes that snide look over his shoulder before doing it. And you know, I can understand why... In live action, the ref doesn't give it because it happens quickly yep. and you think, oh, it's just a swinging leg. But this is the whole point of VAR. VAR was used to correct the oversight and correctly, in my view, send Eddie and Kedia off. We have VAR and we have replays. And on replay, there is no conclusion you can come to apart from the conclusion that Vardy looks over his shoulder and makes an unnatural movement with his leg. Do I think he wants to catch Mustafi in the face? I don't. Do I think he wants to leave a little something on him? I do. And, you know, I, it's just unfair. Clive, let me ask you, ask you a question about this um, a little differently, though, and then we, we, we can get into the actual football, which I actually am excited to discuss because I thought the first half was maybe our best under Arteta. But one thing that Arteta did in this post-match that he did not do post-Brighton, and I think it is a step forward for him as a leader and a coach, Post-Brighton, he was very clear to downplay refereeing decisions, to let Mope off the hook. And in this game, he was much angrier. And, and he came out with some fiery comments saying that Vardy should have been sent off. And I think I think he's getting it right there. I think reading the room, we played Go, well. What was that? Go Mickey. Go Mickey, exactly. So, Clive, how do you feel about Arteta taking a different stance in this game about addressing... The, the incidents in the match, calling for Vardy to have been red-carded and maybe circling the wagons a little more um, to, to cre create that sense of injustice and that sense of, of sort of um, banding together and us against them and, and that siege mentality. I think it was really good that you questioned it because I think it's too easy to victimize Arsenal and has been for a long time. I think even though David Luiz is a bit stupid sometimes when he's trying to tap someone on the shoulder from behind, you could debate even one of those was a red card or not. You know, mm, yeah. you could debate that somebody was running around so it wasn't so it wasn't really a clear goal scoring opportunity or he was the, wasn't the last man. But it, the benefit of doubt doesn't seem to go our way. You know, in this one, for example, all you could accuse Eddie of was a, a lack of spatial awareness. And what you could accuse Vardy of was he absolutely is spatially aware and knows exactly what he's doing with his limbs and his body. and knows exactly what he's trying to do. He's trying to intimidate the man that's been marking him all night, the man he's been detailed to run into his space on. And the fact that Mustafi was doing so well against him, he thought he'd smash him up a bit. And when you know football, you know that's exactly what he was doing. And in the end, he got away with it because he got his half yard off him and, and tapped in a goal. 
were playing have been kicked about a bit, a bit, a bit battered and bruised. And so I, I do feel there needs to be a level of, you know, we, we, we always reach into VAR, we always reach into this, but there needs to be a level of understanding what's going on on the football pitch and the element of combat and what it actually means. I think Arteta needs to stand up for this club, and he has done. I think he needs to. He needs to change our perception. We were talking last night off, off mic about, I've always felt Arsenal have been deemed as almost like the 21st club. We're the foreign club. We're the first club to really have a significant foreign manager. First club to have 11 foreign players on the pitch. It's almost as though we're the ones bringing in a different game and we're referees slightly different due to the types of players they've had in the past. When we stood up for ourselves, we got punished. Mm. We don't stand up for ourselves. We're weak as piss. You see what I mean? And we can and we can be bullied. And so it's very difficult for us to find a balance. I think part of Arteta's perception and culture change, he needs to do exactly what he started to do last night. And say, oh yeah, hold on a minute here. You need to be looking at things equally and fairly. On the Vardy one, for example, if you look at that in a VAR situation, and we've all done on our Twitter feeds today, that looks like a red. Mm. Within the concept of the game, it looked like an accident. Much like Eddie's did within the concept of the game, it looked like an accident. When you slowed it down, you went, that could be a red. It's a VAR red. But we don't deem Vardy, because of his skill and his experience, that to be one to even be viewed by VAR. I'm not sure if he was, but I never saw any replays coming up. So that tells you there's a lack of understanding there. But from Arteta's point of view, Elliot, I think it's time to stand up and stop, start treating us the same as other people. That's not an Arsenal fan talking. I think we said... I, I mean, it is an Arsenal fan. fan talking. I mean, you are an Arsenal fan. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Please no, tell me you're an Arsenal fan. Not just from a, an Arsenal perspective. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I do feel, you know, I just think, you know, I did see something the other week about the amount of fouls we've conceded. And so the amount of fouls we've had, the amount of yellows and reds we've had against us. I think we had like the 14th most fouls or something like that but we've had we've got by far the most yellows and we've got most reds and I heard Andrew say today that we're bottom of the disciplinary table and this is an Arsenal team we, we question our hearts we question our physicality we question our engagement in challenges yet we're sitting at the bottom of the disciplinary table and that, that doesn't that doesn't add up to me because no. we're dirty, dirty bastards I would settle for that if that were true and unfortunately I, I have a different conclusion and I I think it starts with a coach, too. I, I think being nice as a team flows from the top, and being bastards from the team flows from the top. Um, and, and maybe we need to be a bit more bastardy, and I think Arteta picking on the refs and making us feel like we are, like, like we are, they're out to get us, like we're the victims here, and creating that siege mentality, I think that can work. I think you can lean into it too much, but I certainly don't think we're at that end of the spectrum. So I'm glad he's doing it, and I glad he, I'm glad he flagged it up. I assume, Tim, you're fine moving on from... Oh, wait. Before I get to you, Tim, I have to let Paul talk again. <laughs> go ahead, Paul. Add 15 seconds. I'll, really hang on, quick. let me start the timer. Okay, go. Yeah. <laughs> Arteta was a narky little bastard himself. Uh, plenty cynical. Uh, you know, he's from Moyes' uh, side of the house there. Did well at Celtic. Plenty of niggle there. Uh, Barca cynicism. We'll be it was, okay. It was Rangers. It was Rangers. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah, I can't Rangers. Let you say that, man. Ah! Otherwise, there'd be trouble. Yeah, yeah. And PSG before that, Clive. But anyway, plenty of niggle, uh, plenty of cynicism. We'll be okay. He'll change that bit of the culture which we need need changing. Mm. Well done. Fifteen seconds. You hit it on the mark. Um, okay. By the way, it was it was Basuma in the in the Brighton game who had oh, yeah. uh, thirty seven tackles and and no cards. It's not 
actually the stat, but it felt like it. So, Tim, I, I assume you're fine moving on from the refereeing debate because I know it's not your favorite uh, part of the discourse. So l- let's talk about the performance in the first half, and I thought it was scintillating. And you you look at the lineup, Pepe not able to start again, and as someone who has had a baby twice, uh, actually, I've not had a baby at all. My wife has had a baby twice. But even as, as the man in that relationship... Um, well, even Debatable. as the, yeah, that's also open for debate. Um, to the accuracy of that statement. We, we heard you talking to your calf just before. Yeah, I was, I was also going to say, even as the father in that situation, that's also open for debate. It's unclear. So let's just say as someone who was adjacent to that experience, um, you're not getting a lot of sleep and I can understand why he wouldn't want to start or be able to start, but it meant that, um, Lacazette kept his place. Kolasinac started in the back three And what happened was something I would not have expected, which is we played some scintillating football, pressing brilliantly, direct progressive passes, and creating chances by what we've been doing, overloading the wings, but doing it, I think, a little more dynamically um, than we have before. And all of it, all of it started and flowed through Danny Ceballos. So do you want to sort of highlight his performance and how the performance he provided was really the trigger for us to, to put on a real a real show of some excellent football in the first half. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, there's I think there's some soft factor considerations here that um, his tail's up, he's trying passes he wasn't trying, and I, I've caned him a few times, um, particularly the Brighton game where I felt that he was just really unadventurous in his passing. It was all sideways. It was all five-a-side nudge-and-run stuff, whereas this time he was really... And to be fair, I think he did it against Norwich as well in the last home game. Like, he's just the adventurousness of his passing has been going up. Um, I also think that's that's just down to Arsenal kind of fixing the right-hand side a little bit. In recent weeks, we had that really obvious left, left-sided bias. And in recent weeks, we've brought in um, either Cedric or we've liberated Bellerin. Basically, we've set the right wing back free, which gives us a little bit more mm-hmm. um, in that cool. area. And against Norwich, we had Reese Nelson kind of dropping back into the midfield a little bit like what we've been doing. Um, so I, you know, and I've been kind of going on about this, this tension, I think in the Arsenal team between the fact that we need a third center back and a third center midfielder, and we can't seem to have both at the same time. Um, and I think what we've been trying to do is trying to use that right winger or sorry, what, what I think we tried to do for a couple of games is use that right winger, be it Saka or Nelson kind of dropping back into midfield um, and making up a third midfielder. And that that's given Ceballos a bit more to aim at. In this game, I think it was Lacazette, really, who came back and, and dropped, you know, dropped almost back into, like, the centre so that Xhaka and Ceballos could split and look after their sides of the pitch when we were on the ball. And Lacazette was kind of coming short and giving an option that also takes someone away from the back line. And all of a sudden, I think Ceballos has got a few more targets um, to hit. And there's... You know, um, as much as I on the instant reaction pod and I stand by what I said about Lacazette, really, but in in that he played well, but didn't didn't wasn't he was a good player, but not Mm. a good striker for us in that game. And I think that's been a theme, really, um, of late. And um, and yeah, so there's a little bit going on there that the right side of the pitch has opened up a little bit and he's been asked to play on the right hand side. And we slash I questioned his suitability to that right-hand side, but maybe it was not so much that he's not comfortable on the right. Um, It's just that there was nothing going on on the right. It was a bit of a wasteland. Um, 
but yeah, and and I think the other thing that was going on in this game was that there was basically no midfield. Uh, Leicester were going back to front very quickly. They played three strikers to try and press Arsenal's back three. Um, and Arsenal only really play with two central midfielders at the moment, um, particularly in build-up. So, so really, th- I, I think there was space there um, as well. And I, I don't mean that pejoratively against Sabayos, saying, oh, he only, he only performed because there was space. Because, you know, you, you can tell when a player's tail is up and when it's not. And, um, and his is really up um, at the moment. And, and, you know, Arteta, who, who'd been challenging to him um, in his kind of first months in the job, you know, really talking him up, really, really kind of, you know, making him feel wanted. And all of a sudden now there's talk about um, him staying. Um, and, and yeah, and and the biggest credit I could give Sabayos, having said that I think the team around him has, has moved towards him a little bit more, the, the biggest credit I could give him is that I think he's totally minimised that issue that we had joining the midfield and the attack. It's still not perfect, but a couple of weeks ago, I thought that was so obvious. And I was just thinking, you know, as much as Ozil is a bust at this club, I thought we really missed him. Um, not not just because of, um, you know, the, the ability to join midfield and attack, um, but also because of Ozil's technical security on the ball. Um, he, he kind of, he doesn't split defences anymore, but if you give him the ball, he'll keep it and he'll probably pass it forward. And uh, and yeah, and and Ceballos has has minimised that because his passing has just gone up a level. Um, he's he seems to be moving slightly quicker um, as well, and whether that's just because he's hit his, you know, hit his stripe his straps physically, or whether it's just his tails up, or whether it's a mixture of both, I don't know. But yeah, I, I I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Ceballos, um, which is great because I haven't honestly felt like that since <laughs> since August. Um, and and yeah, and, and you're looking at it now, actually. And, and one of the things I think about the Genduzi situation is that's a midfielder that's going to flip this summer. And that might save or at least temporarily rescue some Arsenal careers. Ceballos, Maitland-Niles, Torreira. Like, we can't afford to get rid of all of those players. So one or two of them is going to, assuming um, that, you know, we, we were thinking of moving some of them on, one or two of them at least is going to get a stay of execution now. And, and I really think that Ceballos is, is one of those players who's, who's going to benefit from that. Yeah, look, from an age standpoint, he's exactly the kind of player we should be recruiting. From a price standpoint, when you look at what we're willing to pay for someone like Thomas Party, for example, who's going to be $50 million, I think. I mean, that, that's the release clause. And he's 27. If $40 million gets you this Danny Ceballos, you bite someone's hand off for that. Now, it's a big gamble because is this Danny Ceballos, the Danny Ceballos, you know, I mean, this is certainly what we thought we were getting, and my goodness, we're getting it. Uh, Paul, quickly, and then Clive, maybe we can just talk about midfield generally. So, Paul, you're you're you were giving Sabios a lot of love in the back channel. Would you like to put it into the front channel now? Um, yeah, but I won't bother. Uh, I think people know I'm a I'm a, a Danny fan, given the opportunity. Obviously, a, every one of our midfielders, when they play well, demonstrate the strength, but also we know. They they give a dilemma on the other side. They all have this significant weakness, but that's for another. That's for Clive's section. Um, <laughs> Danny, if you look at the bench cam from the game, the last game, Saka's goal, uh, it's really interesting because Danny is off the pitch basically. He's right by the touchline talking to Arteta mid-game. Um, all this 
uh, Arteta shouting at Danny, all this kind of thing. He's been using Danny as his conduit onto the pitch for some time now, and it's slowly been building. Um, and I think we're starting to see that paying off now. He, Danny's an accelerator. I like him more on the left than the right, but Chak is there. That's okay. Um, you know, there, there's some debate now as as Sabias comes up the curve, what that means for Chaka, uh, even in this game. And I like the way they 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 both weren't, they're generous enough that they don't hog the spotlight. So, hey, Sabias is on form. He's feeling it. He's pinging it around. He's accelerating the game. I thought Chaka was really good by playing, in in this case, he was the backing singer. I thought he did a really good job. As a pairing, they've clicked in a way not not really any pairing hat now it's early days we'll see um it was interesting that Leicester were 3-4-3 we were 3-4-3 so maybe against a different lineup it doesn't look as great as this but these guys really shined i think the other big factors in our midfield dominance to some extent is you had the front three connecting away we haven't seen our front three connect so far uh, all the debate last time around Saka on the right, I guess I was, my whole big brilliant point was it's an investment in Saka. He's just too good not to be good on the right as a cut-in winger as well. It wasn't really a football point, just a kind of, the guy's just too talented. He sees things too well. Well, it's like and the inverse of the Aubameyang situation, right? Like he's too good. Yeah. He's He thrives on the left, even if it's not what he's really made to do. <laughs> yeah. So it's an inverse in that he's just so exceptionally talented. He can just do what you ask him to. And he sees space and he understands and he gets into positions. And and that's what Danny needed on that side. And that's been a big deal. And finally, to Tim's point on the, you want an extra center back or an extra midfielder. And what we were doing a little bit, I'm not saying we've solved that problem. What we were doing in this little bit is we got back to cheating up the left side so that Kolasinac is kind of, uh, if you look between him and Mustafi, he's the guy who's cheating upfield. And yes, his pa- passing isn't brilliant, but then he's learning kind of a new role. Maybe it'll get a little better. But it certainly helped with him and Tierney on that side, which got us kind of an extra little bit of midfield from that side. Bellerin cheating up the right side and, and cutting inside. So um, it'll be interesting to see this against another team. But man, that was the first time you thought, Holy shit. And the interesting mm. thing is Leicester had more huh. possession. They, we were at home. And yet this was, we were not quite Leicestering Leicester, but um, we kind of let them have a little bit more and played to it. And that first half, holy fuck. I wouldn't mind seeing a whole bunch of that more. Mm, yeah, I, I, I will. I will say that. Like there's a, there's a lot of things from the first half I'd like to see more. And the, the thing about the Ceballos performance is the range of it. You know, I, I think we have a lot we have a lot of um yeah. so so it was supposed to be Clive's turn in the in the rotation and, and Paul just wanted to add a little a little bit onto the Danny Ceballos thing and assured me that it would be a nice short little coda to what Tim had added and then we'd move on to Clive and yeah, well, you know, these are the pod dynamics. He's been it's ribbing me he's been ribbing me in the back channel while we're talking. <laughs> while we're recording. Um, but you know, it, like I think we have a lot of specialist midfielders or have over time, whether it's Torreira or Francis Coughlin or whether it's Shaka who can sit deep and distribute. What what Ceballos did, at, you know, Mesut Ozil, whether you think he's any good at all anymore, he's he's kind of a specialist. 
But Ceballos showed so much range, whether it was the the through ball to Saka for the goal. There was one point where he's deep, deep, deep in midfield, and without even looking up, he pings a cross-field ball all the way up to the left wing mm-hmm. to, to uh, Tierney in space that was just insane. He was tracking back and taking the ball off people. He was showing the ability to dribble past a guy and wriggle out of trouble under pressure. It, it was a complete performance, and I think Clive... Our midfield has had some special. (laughs) Sorry to do this. The three at the back tends to cover their weaknesses defensively. Sorry, Mm. Clive. Well, well said, Paul, and comprehensively covered. (laughs) I I might, I might add. Um, Hi, Clive. How you, how you been, buddy? Um, Yeah, cool. Good, cool. Hanging out. Look, I would say that this Danny Ceballos performance is super impressive because of its quality and its range, and it also, to me, highlights maybe some of the ways that the midfield has been lacking because these specialists have had such clear vulnerabilities. The Shaka performance is interesting to me because in this setup, he was pushing higher up the pitch. And while we saw Shaka do some of the good Shaka stuff, I think when he's up there, you do see the limitations. There were times when he'd get it and you'd see a, a runner ahead, you'd see an option, and it's that extra touch to turn that Ceballos doesn't need that that I think lets him down sometimes. So, I mean... How do you look at this midfield pairing and, and do you see Shaq as the right foil for what Ceballos is providing or do you think it highlights some of his shortcomings? Sorry to uh, prick the balloons a little bit, but I, I don't I don't see these two as the future of Arsenal. If anyone's the future, more of the future, funny enough, it's more Ceballos actually. And I, I'm not sure if I see Ceballos as a conduit. I see him as probably the closest player to how Mikel Arteta used to play. Hmm. Very much a player that... So if you're a coach and you used to play that position, you have a, a feeling and maybe a bit of love for him to help him because you know exactly what he's trying to do. He was fairly one pace, played behind the ball mostly, and I did see Arteta at Rangers many, many times when he was war number 10, but he still facilitated when he was at Rangers. And so basically I think Tobias has a lot of what Arteta had, but what Arteta was very, very clever on was how to read the drop, how to support Ramsey, how to do the things that Ramsey didn't like doing, which made them a partnership. So, But I, I have a theory about midfield, and I, I, just, I thought I'd better get it out. <laughs> it's been on my mind for a few pods since you, since you spoke about Zone 14, actually. And football's changing, right? So we all know about the, the five channels, and we all know about the 2-3 or the 3-2. Um, but really, it's five in, five up. That's what we're really... That's what's really happening. But you have a couple of players at the base of your midfield and their skill set must be, they must be able, one of them must be able to reach that five, either by fizzing it through the lines or by switching or pinging to the outside players with chalk on their boots. So connectivity is different now. We used to play up for another layer in midfield, up to an Ozil or a Mkhitaryan or an Iwobi. They turn around and they give it to two more people higher up. But now it's literally five in, five up. The midfield has changed. There is no midfield. No one wants to go for the centre of the pitch anymore. If you lose it there, you're going to get killed on the transition. So your deep midfielders must have a couple of skills. Passing range or the ability to beat the man and carry and connect. So you're looking for connection in different ways when you're deep midfielders. And so everyone's turning into midfielder now. So the reason why we all, or I like Cedric, his ability to receive the ball like a midfielder. Maitland-Niles, like a midfielder. Tierney, like a midfielder. Bellamin last night, more of a winger, but a little bit more technical than he has been previously. And so the Ozil days, when people just stood in that line, 
I think it's over, mate. I think it's mm. over. It's all about <clears throat> filling the five channels. It's all about how you connect to that front five. You look at our midfield too, and I will say that we would. I think Shaka's passing it is not as broad as it as, a, as it used to be or as it could be. He doesn't switch diagonals like he and he's, and he's passing straight is a little bit slower, a little bit floaty. And the thing about Tobias I love more than anything last night wasn't so much the passing because we know he can pass, but on the on the through ball for uh, Saka, it was how he beat his man to create the lane. And that's what we don't do. If you look at Torreira, he doesn't beat his man to create a lane. You look at Shaka, we know what happens when he has to beat his man to create a lane. Guendouzi does it, but he does his passing is short and he has too many touches. But what Sabaya did last night is the modern midfielder. Zip it, shake, bake, ping it, or ping it first time, or switch, or get it through, fit it through to the front five. You're trying to pin people back. So they're your connectors. And, I, and, I, and they've got to be able to cover ground and they've got to be able to connect. And so the midfield in modern football, because all the top teams are playing the five channels, there is nothing there. So what they are doing really, really well as a group is they're all refilling that gap. I mean, we know my fill the bucket theory. They're mm-hmm. refilling that gap. And what are they doing? They're fouling. They know they can't cover it. So it's Lacazette always makes fouls. Saka, Abamyang always sprint back. So they they are now your attacking midfielders, but they they're covering midfield by defensively by sprinting back and recovering. Man City do it with Sterling. Sterling's the best at it. His ability to fill midfield spaces from sprinting from the front. So what it does is now telling you what midfielders we need. We need midfielders that can pass 30, 40 yards like a bullet to get to the front fire. Because what that means is once you have that player everyone's in the game because you can reach them. When you haven't got the ability to switch and ping and ping it that way, then people are going to say, you know what, we're going to press on to you. And that's what's happened to us a lot. Our ability in lower spaces of the team is not great. And I saw something on Twitter the other day. I saw it somewhere and I just thought, that's it. That just adds to what I was thinking. We are, I think we have given away the most turnovers in the, in our near our goal. Because in the whole league, because the ability of our midfielders to beat that first man, to beat the press, is the worst. And everyone knows it. And our ability to switch the play and drive up the pitch is impinged due to lack of technical ability and the ability to dribble and carry in those deep areas. So he's trying to fix it by having ball-playing defenders that can do it for you. David Luiz does it. Pablo Marie does it. And I think we're going to get one more that can do it. And that's going to make people think, crikey, they're building up. They can build up in two layers at the back there now, with their back line and with the midfielders in front. And now those five attackers, whoever they decide them to be, they are scaring me now because they're going to receive the ball as they want it, with accuracy, fizzed in, quality, and then they can turn around and then they're up. They, they are forcing teams to, to put five back in. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's going to empty midfield even more. The game is changing. I know we have this thing. We see this space. We think, we need an Ozil in there. No, we don't. We need attacking midfielders who can score, who off the sides, like a Pepe. Aubameyang's using this role, but we know that's not his optimal role. Someone who roll into that space, and they take it, and they turn around. And then you have your base midfielders. Mm. And the midfielder we use tonight with box-to-boxers, I think it's over in this trend of football at the moment. I really do. I think number 10 is over, and I think box-to-boxes are over. The issue becomes, Clive, right? While I 
I think that's honestly fantastic stuff. And I, and I agree with a lot of what you've just said. You can't build your whole midfield all at once from scratch. You know, the oh, question, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying to you where we're going. We're looking right. to, yeah, exactly. But, but so where I get games going and look what we're going and now look at your players again and say, actually, let's look at our turnover data at, with our midfield. Let's look at our, our press resistance from our deep midfielders. Mate, I'm t- I'll tell you now, Elliot, it's not great. No, it's not. I'm sure, but, it's, but, one your, but, it's, one, I'm sure it's one of your mates that I saw just, <laughs> the, the, um, the graphic on. It's not great. And you, but you don't need to see the graphic, do you? Because you know the ability, don't you? Well, and, and to be fair, I mean, everything you've outlined, the reason I, I point at Shaka is not because I'm just some biased prick. I mean, that's part of the reason. But, but part of it is just... I see his skill set as not aligning with where I think we want to go and how we build play and how how we play through the thirds. But I do think that Danny Ceballos' performance he put in against Leicester and and what he's been putting in can fit into what you've just described. And I I understand that that, the the jury is out on that for sure. But if you said to me we could get him for $40 at 24 years old or whatever he is and he could play at that kind of level, I mean, no one could play at that level every game, but that kind of contribution, that style, I think it does fit. And, you know, Tim, I... Look, we always wind up focusing in on the same kind of players because they're big personalities and big parts of the the team. But I think sometimes you have to look at some of the players that only ever seem to come in to the discussion when they're being criticized. And one of them is Kolasinac, and I thought this was a great game for him. And, you know, to Clive's point, I think the midfield has to be reshaped. But right now, those wide center backs are sort of forming a midfield behind the central midfielders in a way. And... I thought one of the things that was so great to see in this game was the way we pressed and won the ball back. Now, admittedly, they had some weak players in there. I mean, Bennett and Justin, I don't think, play for them regularly. They didn't have Madison or Chilwell. But, like, they couldn't really play the ball out from the back when we pressed. And a lot of the reason was Mustafi and Kolasinac pressing up really well and making good choices about when to press and when not to. Kolasinac didn't just win the ball back, though. He delivered really well. And Mm. there was a, a chance for Aubameyang to cross to Saka where he just missed it. And it was a one-touch pass from Lacazette to put Oba in for that move. And that starts from Cola pressing up, winning the ball, playing a nice line breaker right into Lacazette for, for the one-two with Aubameyang. It's the kind of stuff that I felt he can't do. And so I think it's only fair to praise him when he does. How important have the performances from much maligned Kolasinac and Mustafi been to the improvement, and in particular, the first half of this game? Yeah, yeah. I, I think what, what we've done is we've we found their positions um, really certainly with Mustafi that kind of right-sided center back in a three that really suits him limits some of the space he has to chase into but like he can chase um, he, he is mobile he's, he's one of our most mobile players actually um, I think but it's just sometimes his judgment has been a little bit off but we've we've narrowed the space and, and actually he one of the things he was really good at when he first arrived which totally went to shit i think is his distribution that that is one of the reasons apparently we paid so much money for him because he had this reputation um for, you know fizzing the ball out from the back and i think he did that at first and i think he kind of stopped doing it um and, and i don't know why exactly that was um but you know just passing off from that right hand side um you know he's he's been very good and it means that we've got more than just you know under Emery it was very much give it to David Luiz and he'll try and punt it for and you just got that over and over again and there's a bit more variety um but to come on to to Colosinac, th- 
the performance we got from him, that this is much more the sort of player we thought we had um, probably in his opening few games. Um, and and look, I, I think the the kind of the game that Leicester were playing kind of suited him really because Leicester were, you know, they were going for a high press, they were being aggressive, um, and and that's kind of, you know, if if you want to be aggressive with Kolasinac, then you know, good luck, really. Um, because, you know, if, if he... And, and they, you know, they like to hit those channels. We know that. We know Ian Acho likes that channel. Vardy, um, I think it was interesting, actually, Vardy went more off to the left um, in this game. And I know he does get quite a few goals going off the left, but you'd, you'd think the right channel would be more natural for him, um, given that he's right-footed. But I, I think this this game just really kind of suited him and that whole getting touch tight thing, and and that's how we've defended uh, the last couple of games. That was very much the plan against Wolves, um, particularly for Traore, but not just Traore. We were forcing their players backwards, um, and again, that's um, that suits Mustafi more. He's he's a touch tight defender. That's what he wants to do. Um, that will also suit Mary. That is what Mary wants to do as well. He's that kind kind of touch tight defender. Um, so I guess it looks like that's what Arteta's building, um, and it could it could be you know we asked the question about why Kolasinac is being preferred to holding, um, and maybe that's one of the reasons because because he wants touch tight defenders. It'll be interesting when we play Spurs on Sunday um, whether we do the same to Kane because the thing that Spurs do is you know Kane comes deep a lot now. Um, and, you know, you can kind of get inside his shorts and, and try and get the ball off him and wrap his ankles a bit and he'll go down and get fouls. But it's the, they spin Sun in behind um, from the left-hand side. And and, and so, yeah, it, I, I don't know whether this is like a model for our defending going forward, whether it was just we felt that it was the way to deal with this game. But but Kolasinac was really, really good. And I, and I think, like you said, the thing that was most pleasing is like if he gets his positioning right, I don't think he's a bad one-on-one defender at all. I think it's just more his positioning and sometimes he goes to sleep. But if you actually go one-on-one against him, I mean, you need a taxi to get round him in the first place, to be honest. Um, but it was the technical part. It was the passing. And that is something that I've not seen before. Like I'm not with Mustafi. I've seen it. And then I've seen it go, and now I've seen it come back again. I've never seen it with Colosinac before. So, you know, hopefully this isn't just a one-off. Um, and this is this is actually something to build on. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think I think he deserves every credit because um, I, I can't really think of anything Leicester did down that side. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe the the goal, the cross for the goal comes from that area, but I don't think that's on him, um, really. So yeah, yeah, it it was one of his best performances for Arsenal, I thought. Yeah, and I, you know, I, the one thing that I think happens sometimes when you criticize a player multiple times, people stop thinking it's analysis and start thinking it's agenda, which is unfortunate because sometimes you, you know, the way a player plays, you just see the things they don't get right. Sometimes you only see the things they do get right. And that's, you know, we all look at football a little differently. Kolasinac deserves credit for this performance. Paul, uh, you wanted to add, uh, but you did not say briefly this time. So feel free to uh, expand on this as, as much as you want for as long as you like. Uh, 15 seconds. <laughs> Perfect. Start, start the clock. All I want to say is what you see with the three we have and why I think it addresses some issues is Mustafi and Kolasinac 
charging forward 10 yards into midfield, nipping the ball away or kneeing somebody up the arse and dropping back. Louise sitting, and it brings out the best in all those three players. That's what they most naturally can and should be doing. Uh, very proactive, very front-footed from those two guys. And you just see it, they rack up the stats. They rack, you know, at the last game, there was a debate about whether Cola was good or bad or whatever. And I liked what I was seeing in terms of the trend, even though I didn't think it was perfect and his passing was shit. Uh, but his numbers were high. Why were his numbers high? Because him and Mustafi both had high numbers, headers, tackles, interceptions, etc. And they're nipping into midfield to stop, nip things in the bud and to provide that extra defensive level alongside um, Chaka, who's a little immobile, and Sabias, who's a little small. And that's where I think you're getting this cheating that's really helping midfield out. Sorry, that wasn't 15 seconds. No, that's fine. Well, well I'll stick with you for a second. Um, you know, I think the the way this system works... You you do need another player to sort of create a focal point, link up, and, you know, I mean, I, we touched on Lacazette, mm-hmm. but I want to come back to him for a second, Paul, because mm-hmm. I think there are two ways you can look at this performance. So he had the diving header from that amazing mm-hmm. Bellerin cross that he didn't get down. He had the swiveling shot that was too close to Schmeichel that was saved. He had mm-hmm. a, a, an opportunity to put in Saka where he had to take like three extra touches and slid it to him a little late. And as I a result, this question. Yeah. Keep well, yep. you're rubbing your hands. Yeah. Um, yep. he had, there was another chance he had. What's the other chance? Yeah, he did. Um, Oh gosh. Disallowed goal. The, yeah. The disallowed goal where he, he gets off. He's offside, maybe looking down the line, but here's the irony. If we're going to be fair and consistent as someone who likes analytics, I have to admit that the way I evaluate a striker performance is not how many goals he scored. I mean, ultimately, that's what you're measured by. But the great strikers, the great players, they get into good positions and they take shots. And my principal argument with Lacazette has been he's not creating chances, he's not taking chances, he's not shooting. You know, Lacazette's shot numbers are down. His his He's not popping up in dangerous areas. And some of that is because he was asked to, to drop deeper, get into midfield. In this game, he did more striker stuff. Unfortunately for him, it didn't come off. I felt that Arteta's post-match comments about we should have killed them off fall on Lacazette probably more than anyone else. And yet, Mm -hmm. he did do the things that you'd like a striker to do. Get into dangerous positions, facilitate, take shots. So are you sympathetic to the idea that he did striker stuff in this game and didn't get the the breaks? Or do Mm -hmm. you feel that this is further continuing decline of a player who's just not providing enough end product uh like a couple of games ago you might have might have had me leaning towards the latter this i thought was a really good game for lacazette it's the classic he's getting in the right positions you know he just got a goal the previous game he was only on the pitch for a few minutes um immediately you see a boost in his um perkiness in his you know, he's been doing this dropping into midfield and linking up stuff, not particularly to great effect recently. But in this game, um, the most heartening thing was Aubameyang, Lacazette and um, uh, Saka on the right and the way they weaved together. Uh, they, almost every good mi- uh, movement had them and Ceballos in the mix. And they were just finding each other. They were each other's playmaker and creator. Um, and yeah, it was frustrating that he didn't put those away. The header was like, it was a really good header, way too high, just where the keeper wanted it. He got loads of contact on it, but he should have hit it into the ground. 
Um, he got good purchase on it, but didn't what didn't do what a a I wouldn't even say it was confidence. He was just kind of new back into getting these situations, and I think he he'll he'll get a little sharper going forward. I also think he needs to wear a smaller outfit a smaller uniform. Um, he just looks like he's drowning his, in this thing. You put him in 70s or 80s short, he he looks quicker. He, you know, some people. This are is the analysis people by, come for, by the way. This is yeah. this is how you grow an audience. Yeah, go go. It's for like it. those stupid basketball short shirts everybody wears. You are not fucking LeBron James. You're drowning in this bloody thing. Mm. Um, and I think his optics are a little off. From actually, I think he's he can still perform at a high level. I think he can still be good. Um, he was an important part of how we played, but those front three plus Sabias were their own playmaker together. Because it, it's not Sabias who's going to give you the assist. He'll be a pre-assist guy. He'll accelerate the play. Really good game for uh, Lacazette. I think we should hang on in there in the in the judgments in both directions. But it seemed like progress. It feels generally it feels like we're. Uh, Beyond Lacazette, we're pushing the toothpaste up the tube in terms of turning possession at the back and up the sides into more interesting combinations, automatisms, people finding each other. And Saka's a really nice addition off the right. He's just he's uh, he, he just knows how to connect and use space and find people. And mm. okay. Yeah, oh, that, that's that's how we're going to end that just just with an and and then then trailing off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just, towards the end, I kind of lost interest in what I was saying. So, well, you're in yeah. good company. Um, so, uh, look, I, I think we do have to discuss going down to ten men and how we played at that point. But before we do it, I just want to say, for my own point, I thought this first half was a huge credit to Arteta, a huge credit to the players, a sign of a system that was working, that was attacking the opposition where it was weak, where runners were making intelligent runs. They could not, Bennett and Justin were not tracking Aubameyang at all. Saka's run was inch perfect. That goal is absolutely sensational. We are not doing it with 10-minute spells of possession where we, we walk it in. We are doing it by winning the ball up the pitch and being more direct. And that's fine because I think that's a little more modern football. That's what Liverpool does. Maybe it's not what City does all the time, but there's nothing wrong with that. And and I thought we we used this system to the best effect I've seen us use it so far. I was really impressed with it, um, both from a coaching standpoint. Tactically, what you see is this is a guy who, who his philosophy works. He gets football and... You give him time with these players, it's just going to get better. And you give him better players, and it'll get even better still. But, Clive, I mean, we we don't get the three points, partly because we did not take the chances that we created, so many of them that fell by the wayside, either chances or, or really encouraging moves, and partly because of the red card. Look, as many ga- the legs looked so heavy and tired to me by the end of this game, Clive. I mean, Aubameyang looked dead. Uh, Ceballos had to come off. He, he couldn't run anymore. There were a lot of tired players out there, and it's understandable running around in the rain, heavy legs, heavy pitch, um, a lot of, lot of minutes in these legs, and then to go down to 10 men. I thought we needed more energy than the subs gave us, frankly, and I thought we needed to try to push up more and hold the ball, but we are not a team that holds the ball even when we're playing well. And then to try to do it tired and down to 10 men, it wasn't going to work. I'm not as critical of the goal. Because, look, sometimes they score because they did something well, not because you did something wrong, in my opinion. Um, We should have pressed the ball more. We weren't pressing the ball enough in that period, and we were letting them put crosses in under 
insufficient pressure. But the run from Vardy is inch perfect. He's a shoelace from being offside. Maybe should have been offside if Jose Perez did touch it. If he didn't touch it, it misses his stud by a millimeter. It misses Mustafi's toe by a millimeter. It's just one of those things where any other thing happens. A butterfly flaps its wings halfway around the world, and that's not a goal. But I am a bit critical of the energy that wasn't provided by the substitutions and the the inability to really push them away from our goal and repel them down to 10 men. So how do you feel about the way we played in that period? Are you writing it off as just not having the energy at this point in Project Restart to play down to 10 men, or, or do you see any structural problems there? I'll just go on the goal quickly, and then I'll, th- I'll say what yeah, I Yeah, you were more critical, I think, of the goal, right? Yeah. Well, on the goal, we, we, were, we were in shape. We were shuffling across. They were going around the horseshoe. They weren't doing, doing much. And then, in, um, oh, I can't remember his name now, the winger um, that came on. Come, was it Gray? Was it Damari Gray? Damari Gray, thank mm-hmm. you. Came from Bergen, three million quid, goodbye for them. Um, basically, he whips in a scuff curve cross. And it's a sort of cross we should be blocking out at source. But Kalashnik turns his body, right? If he just stands square, he literally passes it away. He turns his body. Then the ball curls into the back spoke. So let's go talk about the back post. You often hear me use the term box out the back stick. What you do is you make sure you don't get any runners off you on the back stick. So Mustafi's facing the, the cross. And Bellerin, and Vardy's got himself in between Bellerin and uh, Mustafi. Perfect place for a striker. He's thinking, there's going to be a race here. Lineker style, sprinting race. If anything comes to the back stick, I'm going to win it. What, so what happens? Bellerin had a man outside him. And he was he had to stay tight to his centre back, but thinking about the man outside him, so he couldn't block Vardy off. What happens then? Abamian comes into the picture, Mark Indeedy, and, and Joe Willock was there. And what Joe Willock should have done was collapse onto the defence, and then literally or go out wide, and somebody just pass up, just basically come in and make it a three on one. So when you look at the goal, Vardy's got three people around him, but only one of them really marking him. We have one marking and one boxing him out, making sure he can't get a run. They didn't make that decision quickly enough because of pressure and tiredness and lack of communication. And so Vardy has a straight, unchallenged run on a ball that shouldn't have got there because we didn't box him out. We should be barging him early, pushing him off the line so he can't have a clear vision of what's happening and he can't get his timing right. It was fractions. It was it's a good goal from a Leicester point of view unfortunate from us but we've got lessons to learn there about passing people on boxing people out properly knowing who's taking who you've got one man that's going to score it's him make sure he can't even move you stand on his feet you do everything you can to make sure he can't move i don't think we were robust enough there and i, I felt from the staff he tried his absolute best i didn't think he had quite the support around him to make sure Vardy, if he did run off him wouldn't have been allowed to score and with the substitutes I, again, going back to the previous game, I felt off the bench, well, we all felt, we, we won the game off the bench, we added power, and we beat a good side away from home. And I felt he was going to do the same thing again. He was, he was up to do the same thing again. But it all went. It all went up in smoke. No doubt they spoke about it, what to do in the last quarter of the game, what how we're going to play. It was obviously some channel running from Eddie, some pressing and some channel runs that would have pushed them back. They'd have been chasing the game. We'd have we'd have had them on the run. We'd have had we had we had two fresh runners up front. We'd have had them and we would have, we would have definitely had them, but we couldn't. We never got a chance to see it. So straight away, what the subs were brought on for was taken away from them. 
like by the fact we went down to 10 men. So their game changed. And what they brought on for, it's just changed. It just went in a puff of smoke. And so although my eyes told me they did not have the energy, I sort of felt from a bit because the role they had to play completely different. And I would have liked to have seen that opportunity. Just a few more minutes of that power being added, what what could have happened? And in the end, the roles changed. I don't think we adapted to the 10 men brilliantly. But I don't think Martinez had many saves to make, did he, in the second half? No, not really. I don't remember really. too many. Mm. I don't remember too many. So although we, as fans, we were panicking because, you know, we could feel it slipping away Brighton style. In the end, we did pretty well. And they got a really good goal for them and a goal that maybe we could have stopped. And I don't think we saw our team after that last quarter because of the events that happened. And again, we spoke about the sending off, but I think it really left a false reflection on this game because I thought we were better than them. And I wouldn't have thought I'd be saying that after the away game this year. I thought we were better than them. I look at this Arsenal team now and I look at Leicester's team, I think, you know what? We're going to be better than them next year. And we should be, by the way, but I'm really convinced we're on the right directory. Yeah, and I mean, you you just can't help that you're down to 10 men late in a game um, during a period where there's so many minutes in the legs. I mean, Tim, I I think we were a little too passive in the way we defended for, for periods there before their goal. I think Damari Gray and, um, oh gosh, what's his name? The one who normally starts but didn't because Iannaccio start uh, on the on their left side. Perez? Brighton? No, but, um, yeah, uh, no. Chilwell? No. The one who came in, he came in. He's normally one of their two forwards, I think. Oh, Harvey Barnes. Harvey Barnes, thank you, that's the one. I, I thought we were too passive with Barnes and Gray um, on either side and, and gave them too much room to look up and distribute. And I just, this is a this is an interesting thing, Tim, right? We are a team that has, is showing under Arteta that we can defend better than we ever had. And the way we do it is we press more, we push back. What we are not a team that has the personnel to do, that wasn't English, but follow me, is sit and and block off the lanes and be disciplined and hold a line and, and press the ball on the edge of our area. And, and I think, uh, I know in the Discord, Carrier Pigeon is, is screaming at me right now because he, he wrote a, a very long uh, dissertation on why I'm wrong about this in the Discord. But I, I just think we um we were too passive. Do you... Were you a little disappointed with the, with the performance of the substitutes at all? I mean, Torreira, Willick. I mean, obviously, I'm disappointed with Eddie and Kedia. Um, but in terms of their inability to really give us the herring and the energy and the running that some of the rest of the players just didn't have in them? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, to state the obvious, the red card changed stuff, right? So whatever the instructions were... All it, like for someone like Joe Willock, like I, I was fairly harsh on him in the instant reaction pod where I said I, I felt like he looked exhausted the instant he came on, and uh, I didn't think he, he. There was like one time he had the ball in a fairly promising position and just didn't make the right decisions because because I think technically he's just not quite there yet. Um, but I I think really ultimately what happened was some substitutes came on. They were given a brief and then a minute later there's no centre forward anymore or rather you've got a, an exhausted Abamyang. Um and, and unfortunately because did, did we we hooked Abamyang after the red card right and who yeah. came on for him and, and it it's, was, it's a one time I think I was fine with it he looked shattered yeah 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 Maitland Niles yeah 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 okay so I, th- I think the thing is there we, we just don't 
quite and and this isn't a, a massive criticism because this is this is a, a really particular circumstance um we just don't quite have that player maybe that can hold up the ball um you know <laughs> olivier Giroud might have been a good sub to have at Stop this point it. you know just <laughs> <laughs> just just someone who the ball might stick to because you know we kind of we ended up with what willock on the right wing with no striker thinking okay it's going to be up to me to carry the ball 50 yards on my own if it ever comes to me, mm. which is probably quite confusing for him. He was probably thinking, do I hold my position on the right or am I the centre forward now? And you could have brought on Pepe and you could have said, well, you know, he'll carry the ball. But on the other hand, Pepe defensively is a bit of a zero. Mm. Um, and, and I think the credit that you can give to Arsenal, I, I, I agree with what you said about Arsenal being a bit passive. Um, I do think a lot of that was probably down to fatigue and some of it we just didn't have the play. Like who, who would we have brought on to stop that? Um, you know, you know, may, maybe Pepe, and you just stick him up front, and you. And just he wins you. Of... He wins you some fouls, right? And the clock ticks yeah, away. Yeah. That, you know, that's you can win a game that way. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, w- would he have jumped for any headers or high balls? I'm not sure. I mean, you'd have to launch it into the channel and have him scamper after it, which I think you can do. I, I'm not entirely convinced that that would have done much more. It might have, but I, I'm not really sure. I, I think the credit that Arsenal do deserve, though, is is that actually stoppage time what you know when eight minutes went up i was mm-hmm. like oh jesus that's an eternity and actually i don't think leicester did anything in stoppage time i think we did close them out and um because do, do you think they took the point tim do you think they were happy to point as well a, a, maybe a little bit subconsciously because a point's fine for them they've they haven't been good lately but they particularly if it, if it goes down to fifth they're home and hosed uh, but I think it's also because we in in injury time the ball was in their half a lot, you know, and I yeah. think that's where they were weakest. Look who they were playing there: Sonyunchu, Justin Bennett, uh, yeah. Johnny Evans. You know, I I just I wish we could have tried to keep the ball look easier said than yeah. done. But I, I think that there's a way we could have done it differently. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, I I do think we marshaled them quite well because I said as soon as the red card came out, I said I'd take a draw. Yep. Now, because you know what happens with these things, no matter if they'd have equalized in the 93rd minute, they'd have had another five minutes. And the way these things usually go is that the five minutes after the goal, you're super vulnerable. And if you weather that storm, you can usually ride it out. And, and actually, I, th- I think the credit they do deserve is that Le- Leicester did nothing in stoppage time. In fact, I, I felt quite comfortable. I just thought, OK, we're, we're forcing them wide. They're putting crosses in and we've got like nine guys in our own penalty area and Martinez. Martinez yep. was much better at coming off his line. I think that's something he didn't have in the first couple of games, but he was much better coming off his line. And, you know, he, he's a big guy as well and he looks big. Um, he looks big and he looks quite wide as well. He looks like if he comes out for a cross and he's got that knee up, um, you don't go up. Yeah, him, basically, mm-hmm. you, you give it up and you let him have it. And I think that happened a few times. So I, I think they do deserve like a partial credit for seeing it out defensively. Um, when, you know, when, when Vardy scores, right, it's the 83rd minute. There were 15 minutes left at that point. Um, and, and actually, other than a couple of minutes after the goal, I don't think they really troubled us that much. I, I do agree. I'd like to have seen us have a bit more technical security. The problem is I just don't think we have those players at the moment. I, I don't think those players really exist in the team and, and they need to. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Clive, I, I, I want to kind of wrap this up and say yeah. that, and first of all, I, sh- I should say one thing, Tim, because you make the point. If I'm going to be critical of our passivity or not doing well initially when we de- went down to 10 men, I think we deserve credit after they scored because I thought we we collected ourselves, we got on the ball a bit, we pushed them back a bit, we got the ball into their half, and the way we saw it, eight minutes of stoppage time, I think deserves credit. Um, Clive, I just want to look at this game holistically. I will remember this game as a game where I saw a half of football from Arsenal that made me really excited about our coach and where we're going. He doesn't have the players he needs yet. He's got an exhausted team. We went down to 10 men and they gave up a goal and that can happen. But the the way we pressed, the way we were organized, the way we kept them at bay and created chances and and moved the ball through the thirds and, and did get some access to advanced midfield and some central spaces and used the wide overloads. I mean, there's... There was a lot to like about the first half. So for you, when you look back on this game, do you see it as, uh, in in the moment that they blow up for full time, there's the disappointment of not getting three points. But for me, the way I'll remember this game and the way I will contextualize it in the process is that it was an excellent, excellent uh, signpost for where we're going under Arteta. Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, good performances against Wolves and Leicester, we wouldn't have, um, you know, we would have said, well, that's what we expect, right? But to, that, it shows you how much those teams have progressed. And before these games, we were concerned about them. But my my takeaway has always it's been more about how competitive we were. You know, we're talking about Brendan Rodgers paid us compliments. He changed what he does. He changed what he does for us. He was trying to adjust to us. He respects our manager. And from a coaching perspective, I felt Arteta outcoached him. I think he absolutely made Brendan Rodgers' team do exactly what they don't like doing, which is running backwards. They're a young, vivacious team that like to spring forward and make people run backwards, and we did it to them. Everything was early. Everything was direct. Everything was quick. We pressed. We had we had the Pistons going at the back. We pressed into midfield and we filled the holes really, really quickly. The sort of things that we weren't doing when we punched out, we punched out in a non-committed way. Then we refill slowly. So we had a situation where I felt it's much more team playing when we punched out of our holes. We refilled. Even someone else filled in for you, depending how far you pressed out, or you got back in quickly yourself, which gave no spaces. Let them have the outside because let them have that. We can defend across it because we feel confident. And I thought Louise and Klasnik were, well, all three of them were exit in the air. But you're walking away with a feeling of we're competing now. We're really competing. We always beat a Man United or Chelsea at home and we walk away with a 2 3 0. But yeah, we're back. We just catch them on off day. This is consistent competing at the level where we should be competing at, which tells me we're on the way. And more importantly, the most, the most important thing for me is lots of people can coach, lots of people understand tactics, lots of people understand data. But the most important thing for me is the connection between the coach and the players. And there is, you cannot deny the improvement of some of those players on the details that we've picked out, many others have. It's like almost like when they watch the videos, they're actually acting on it. Almost the next game, the very next game, you can see that total buy-in from the from the group and I think they're starting to believe where they should be they're lifting their standards and saying they're, they're walking off disappointed because they know they're better than them now they know they had a plan to beat them and they know they should have beaten them and I'm quite glad they're hopefully feeling like this because 
I don't like Arsenal bowling into a North London derby feeling confident because that's the last thing you want. You want to go in there feeling a little bit bruised, a little bit edgy to say, yeah, we're ready for Tottenham now. Let's go and sort them out and really have the feeling we should have had against Leicester. You know, if you give me a choice, I know which one I take. I take Sandy all day long. Yeah, and and I I think you have to say, as much as it pains me, uh, in the case of one of these two players, Mesut Ozil and Ganduzi have been have been just shoved aside and they're not going to be distractions and they're not going to be uh, allowed to disrupt the progress. And so they've just been excommunicated. That's it. And, you know, look, I mean, we're, we're not Manchester City. We can't just afford to take any talented player and say you're not in the team. And, and Arteta has always said there's a way back for any player. But I think his willingness to be firm with those players, um, to not allow them to destroy the project and to be a distraction of the project, sends a message to other players that if you're on board and you're working hard, there's a place for you in this team. And those are hard things to get right. Emery did not get it right. He tried and he failed. And I think he got it right. Clive, I I, I don't think we need to talk about Ganduzi right now. I think there's plenty of time. That's going to run and run. He's probably gone this summer. I just don't know that it's something we have to touch on. Do you feel like it's it's too insistent? I mean, we, we, we've sort of touched on it, but we all know where this is going. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just wonder what, what we all feel about it, really, because it's it's sometimes when I see a performance like that, isn't that a sort of performance you think, Gwendozi, can't you see what's happening here? You should be part of this. This sort of battling two-way performance is you. Why can't you just grow up? You see what I mean? Because mm. I think Paul said something the other week that really really got to me he said that's the sort of player we should we would be we should be buying i thought yeah you know what you're right we should be buying that talent that's exactly the next level the next phase for our club and whether you think any of his attributes are elite or not well i've seen improvements in players that i thought were dead and so imagine what this manager could do for this kid he, it's, it's, again, have, much he has like to felt, want it though he has to he has to want to make that improvement you know Exactly. Much like I felt so disappointed that made well the impression was made and I didn't want to play in certain positions. I don't agree with that. Um but he's woken up and we can debate his talent now based on the fact he's on board. You know, not because we think he's moody. And I just think it's a shame I can well, we can all see where this club is going from a coach player perspective. We know we need some support from the executive, but I mean Gwenty is you're making a huge mistake. This is exactly the place you need to be to develop the next phase of your career. And you're walking away from it because you're an idiot. And it's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame because the truth is, I mean, he the way Ceballos is playing. doesn't he? He well, needs I, to compete. Yeah. I mean, this uh, for all the talk about it being feisty, and, you know, I buy into that and you like that spirit on the pitch. Sorry. A guy his age needs to respond by saying, all right, I'm going to show you you're wrong on the pitch. This is this is a to me this is a little form of character weakness here. It's not just his feisty nature. Well, there's another. He problem. should be looking at this and saying, "I'm going to grab a place here," and he's now Absolutely. he's running. Well, there's another Absolutely. problem for him in terms of his. You know, if he really cares about his earning and his career, like he hasn't proven it enough, and he's not good enough that his value and his earning potential is established. So this is going to be a black mark for us in terms of what we can get from him in the market, but for him in terms of what he could get paid. If he just got his head down, listened to Arteta, played hard, took Shaka's spot, played next to Ceballos, improved us as a team, you know, and then said behind the scenes, I'm moving on, this is not where I want to be, we'd get more money for him and he'd get more money to go somewhere else. But he he is not good enough or established enough to, to act this way and think it won't impact his career. So it's bad for everybody. It's not, you know... Yeah, yeah, Tim, please come in. 
Sorry, I was just going to add on that really quickly because of what you were talking about there with Genduzi. Look at what Xhaka did. Like, Xhaka, yeah. he did something silly, Amen. right? I still think he did something silly I'm and he decided he wanted to leave, but he was taught round. Now he's playing well and one of two things is going to happen eventually for him. He's either going to get a nice move somewhere else or he's going to get a new contract solved. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, yeah. I mean, look, it is the fact that I rate Ganduzi, and if you don't rate Ganduzi, you're going to have a different attitude about this. But what we can all agree is he's handled it terribly. He's handled it terribly. And, you know, if you, are, if you are an established star in a big league and you've just had it with your coach and had it with your club and you stop and you stop playing, you know, if, you're, if you reach the, the point Paul Pogba reached at Manchester United, you're going to be fine. You can't do this when you just turn 21 and you've proven nothing. It's crazy. So, I, um, yeah. you know, I think it's bad for everyone all the way around. Clive, it sounds like this Ganduzi conversation that we're not going to have is continuing. Please. Yeah, well, no, I'm glad we had it. Right? I am as well. Yes, dorm- it was a good we idea. We had I'm these glad you dormant feelings, right? And and it's just part of elite sport. You have to decide. This is an elite environment. You have to decide how you behave within it. And we can debate his abilities. And trust me, I do. And I will debate them. But when it comes down to it, we're like all of us, when we go to work, we have to adapt to the environment that we're in. And he has chosen not to adapt to the environment that he's in, not just at Arsenal, but at two other places as far as we, we're aware. This is a trend. And Arsenal will get their 40 million for him. They will get their money. But I just feel it's a shame, you know, that there's, a, there's another couple of years of him as an Arsenal player if he had his head on. And we are not going to see that. He may well reach a decent level. And we're going to see that happen somewhere else, or he's going to derail into nothing, and uh, and that could easily happen because football is a game that can forget you in a second. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I I definitely think his Arsenal career is over. And am I disappointed about it? Yeah, but my disappointment isn't with the club or with Arteta. It is, it is with him because I think this is on him now. I, and I the reason I feel confident saying that, you guys, is because I look at the other players who had problems at the club, and they found a way back with Arteta. So we know Arteta's willing to give you a way back. Um, and and he, there hasn't been one for Ganduzi, and I, I have to assume it's because he's not doing what he's been asked. So I think we can leave it there. Tim, just super, super quick, we're going to do a preview pod for patrons, so I don't want to get all the way into it. But the, the Derby is coming up. I think whether or not there's a St. Totteringham's Day will come down to whether or not there's a winner in this game. If there's a draw, then mm. it'll go on. But I, I think if there's a winner in this game, that may determine it. I also think, obviously, Europa League places are still up for grabs. But Pepe now is rested. He's had some time out. He'll be chomping at the bit. Saka with a beautiful assist, showing he can play that right wing role. There's no Enkedia, so Lacazette, a, a, a potential starter again. But given Arteta's pointed words about, we didn't put them to the sword, and you know, we, when you're playing opposition like this, you have to take your chances. And given that, that probably falls mostly on Lacazette. Could we... Maybe, just maybe, see the dawn of Saka left, Oba central, Pepe right for the derby. Yeah, I hope so. Let let me wrap it up in uh, one very simple sentence. Who are Arsenal's best three end product players at the moment? Um, the three I named. <laughs> <laughs> I thought yeah. you were going to argue him just for the sake of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I'm with you, Clive. Sounds sounds like a front three, doesn't it? And and I think it has a balance as well because Saka can go out, go out wide, go on the touchline. Pepe can kind of come in field and do his inside forward bit. 
Um, I think Abamyang's played centre forward before. Not sure. Uh, he might have done that with some distinction. I, I get that Abamyang doesn't do what you know Lacazette and Inketia do necessarily. I, d- I do think he, he closes does. down. He, he does some better hold up play yeah. than we give him credit for, my man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's not a, he's he's good at that kind of first time pass or that that kind of pass around the corner. It doesn't always come off. Like usually the ball doesn't stick to him, and he kind of doesn't want it to. And that, and you know, but. That, that's kind of fine. I don't. It's perhaps not totally optimal, but Abamyang will give you something to make up for it. Put it that way. Um, yeah, I, I I think this is a this is a front three I really want to see. I also think you know there's there's p- perhaps potential for some swap over. That that's something we're not really seeing in the front three at the moment. Everyone's kind of in their positions, but I think you could see Abamyang and Pepe kind of you know crossing over one another. Um, Saka and Abamian crossing over one another, and just mm. just a, a bit of movement, a bit of devil up there. But yeah, ultimately, to go back to my first point, those are the three guys that are bringing the goals and assists, and have been all season. So uh, yeah, and, all right. And like you said, Arteta said we've got to kill teams off. Put your killers in. Yeah, I'm desperate to end the pod, but Paul wants to come back in. Paul. <laughs> Well, yeah. uh, there's the difference between what would you like to see and what will we see. Uh, Arteta has been very clear after this game when asked if this meant Aubameyang uh, through the middle was more likely. It was like, yeah, I played him there, but we have more balance from the left. We have more goals with him up front. So the whole tone of it was, it ain't about to happen, would be my guess. Yeah, he's, I mean, well, that would mean Lacazette I mean, starts so at nine consistent. again. Yeah. yeah. So then, but then, all right, so then let me put put you to the sword here. Does Saka keep his place on the right when he, where he's looked, granted, increasingly comfortable in this game, but, you know, when you leave Pepe out for the derby, and, I mean, I, I think that's that's a tough one, right? It is a tough one. Based on this performance, you don't drop Saka, Laka, and Alba. So, and to be uh, fair, Pepe comes off the bench. To be fair, I think if you give Aubameyang the chances he got in this game, you'd like to think, if he gets those again, he takes them. But we'll see. Look, we'll see what happens. Clive, real quick for you, would you find a way to bring Pepe in? Would it be at Lacazette's expense? Yep, I would. And Tim outlined it perfectly. Uh, I think I do think Lacazette did well in the game. I will say that he he lacks a couple of things for me, and I, I, he's an upgrade opportunity. Not because he's a bad player, just because that's what happens in football. You see someone, you see their ceiling, you say, okay, that's great, thanks very much. I'm going to sell you, and I'm going to upgrade you with somebody that can do more things. So Pepe has to play. He's refreshed. We need a fresh player, um, and we definitely need that going on in the first 70 minutes or so. And Spurs, I, th- I well, we're doing a preview now, but I think Spurs will flip to a back three as well because they, they've seen us do it. And I think Pepe and Saka will rip them a new one if they are allowed to drop into holes and turn around because Spurs are big and lumpy and they can't move. And that's where we're going to win the game. And so I just hope they, those three play. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And I, look, I get some of that's fan wish casting. And I, I do agree with Arteta that Aubameyang's been good on the left. I think the way he ran at a weaker right-sided centre-back in Bennett while Justin wasn't really helping out was a huge flaw that we exploited in Leicester's plan. I don't, you know, I I don't know. I, I still know that Aubameyang can score goals as number nine. Arteta has said he can. We'll just see what he decides to do. Um, 
I think there's a chance Pepe will start from the bench and he'll just run this back given the, the quality of the first half performance, but I'd love to see him make a change. Anyway, let's leave it there. Uh, we will have a preview for patrons. Um, and again, they'll keep being free pods all the time, every week, after every game, twice a week, three times a week, 10 times a week, however long it takes. But if you need more uh, instant reactions on Patreon, and previews on Patreon, and I'm going to try to squeeze in a rewatch of the first half with Clive of this game because I think it warrants it uh, later in the week before the Derby. So we'll look for all of that. And uh, more than anything, just thanks for listening. We love you, uh, as we always say. So Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. Pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter at Paws My Pants. Thanks, Paws. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. More from Scott in the future. Uh, he was just on a pod and will be again, of course. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about no one because there's enough nasty stuff on the internet. I just checked it. God, there's lots of it. Um, I love this performance in the first half, and I'm, I'm sticking to that. I think Arteta is showing the bright future that he and this club have together as long as we just keep growing in this manner. So let's go from strength to strength and beat the scum. That would be the best thing for all of us. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Spurs nil. No.